Welcome back to the film experience. It's the new season of Supporting Actress Smackdown. And we always start with the current Oscar race um, to kick us off for a new season. So we're discussing the films of 2021. And I'm really excited to introduce my guests. First of all, we have Rebecca Alter, a staff writer at Vulture. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much. And where can people find you? On Vulture or at Ralter on anything. <laughs> okay. I wish I could say the same, but my my handles are different at different social media things. You have to act really quickly to get the same handle everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I locked in Ralter like maybe beginning of high school and have been squatting on that real estate. Uh, and then we have uh, Sophia Simonello, who is the host of Oscar Wilde, the podcast like us covers the awards race. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here to talk about this category today. You can find my podcast, Oscar Wilde. We release episodes every Thursday. You can find me on Twitter at Sophia underscore Sim. I've also appeared on podcasts like Next Best Picture, Awards Watch, and In Session Film for current award season. And I love classic Hollywood, too. So I've been on and the runner up is for that. I have an episode of that recording next weekend. Oh, <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, and then we have Ryan McQuaid, who is the executive editor at Awards Watch. And you are also a quite a busy, busy podcaster with different sites. Chasing the gold, extra film. You you never sleep. I, I don't sleep. I'm actually go, coming to you with four hours of sleep. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm running on fumes. Um, but yes, uh, I am the executive editor over at Awards Watch, where I do reviews and interviews uh, over there alongside Eric Anderson. Um, and then I'm also the co-host of the Extra Film Podcast, where we do a director movie series. And then in the back half, we review a latest indie release. I also do the Busting the Block podcast with Kevin Lee, where we talk about the biggest blockbusters ever made and decided if they should have been made or not. I also do add in sessions of as well, a Oscar podcast, Jason Goldward, Nathaniel and Sophia have been on before. And uh, maybe in 2022, something else will pop up. We don't know. I am going to have a like roll of dice. You're going to have a podcast for every day of the week, basically, right? <laughs> basically, basically, you know, uh, I, I feel that at a certain point, I will just internally combust and turn into like the ether. And so, <laughs> but until then, I'm staying busy. And okay. loving every second of it. And thank you so much, Nathaniel, for having me here today and speaking with all these wonderful, wonderful people. Um, you're welcome. And then we have Claudio Alves, who is a, a columnist at the Film Experience, uh, our busiest columnist. Um, and he also writes for Photogeny and Magazine HD. Welcome, Claudio. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. I love this supporting actress, Maxine, as you well know. Um, you can find me at Photogeny and the film experience. Also, if you read Portuguese at Magazine HD, and I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Claudio CC. All right, so let's get started. Um, I guess we will take these in alphabetical or- order because why not? Jesse Buckley of The Lost Daughter. Now, The Lost Daughter is pre- performing very well in award season. Um, she wasn't quite a surprise nominee. I was. I was surprised how many pundits went there. Um, so what it didn't quite become like a, a, a risky prediction that paid off since so many people made it. Um, uh, but she's she's in the mix. But Rebecca, I was giggling when you said I was nervous for those daughters. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, you don't want to be in the room when uh, Jessie Buckley counts to three or when you mess with her doll, I guess. <laughs> Watching the whole movie, the whole time I was just like, you know, it's 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 really great. But the whole time I was just thinking, I wouldn't want to be like Maggie Gyllenhaal's kid right now. Like, I know... You know, I'm separating the art from the artist or whatever, but if I was like Maggie Gyllenhaal's daughter watching this, I'd be like, ooh. <laughs> Is that what you think of all this? Okay. Um, did uh, did other people uh, have similar reactions? I've watched The Lost Daughter three times, and the last time I did was with my mother. And <laughs> during one of Olivia Coleman's scenes, the one where she the one with a hat pin where she gives it to Dakota Johnson. My mother turned to me, see, see why I have depression? I have four kids. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't know how to answer that, but she really loves the film. Maybe she saw herself in it. I don't know what that says about me. You know, great. Well, I mean, I think that, that the, the very fact that people have such strong reactions to the movie is a point in the movie's <laughs> favor. Um, and Ryan, I was, uh, you were pretty bold and you think it's the best performance in the film better than Olivia. Yeah. I don't like the film. Oh, um, okay. uh, I, I haven't, and I have to like see the sea of love that has been going on uh, this season for a movie that I think is pretty meandering and unfocused at times, but when it is focused, it's, I think within the Jesse Buckley storyline in the past. And I think that that's the best stuff because I mean, um, I mean, she does have to deal with those two kids who are, are, are gigantically annoying uh, and screaming the entire time. And that is the point. But also, too, I just think that Buckley's performance there, you see a lot of that we're supposed to see with Olivia Coleman. And I just love how there's scenes where she goes from being so isolated and enclosed. And then when she's away from her kids, she's an entirely different person. And I, I just, I thought it was a really great nomination for an actress that, like, I loved. I don't think anyone hates Jesse Buckley. If you do, then you need to go get therapy because of the fact that she's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the movie, and everyone gives me like that look. But um, I know that I need to give it a rewatch, and I have it. The problem with the word season is you always end up having these um, things that are unrelated to the movies themselves affecting your takes on the movies and everybody has to, you know, shield themselves against that because it's very easy to happen. And my issue with the lost daughter, I love the lost daughter, but my issue with it is that I think passing is so much better. And it was the other actress turned writer director of the season. And so at first I really resented the lost daughter, even though I thought it was great. Um, so I'm trying to just let that go. Now, Sophia, you, I, I love what you wrote about um, Jesse Buckley um, you were talking about that her strength uh, is the oscillation between stillness and chaos. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I thought that was very true. Yeah, of course. So first, I will say with this movie, I have the same issue that you did. And I've been trying to work through it, which is that I just loved passing. And I loved those performances, Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega, more than Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley. And it's, you know, perhaps not fair to like pit them against each other because like, why are we doing that? Like they're both directorial exactly. debuts, Netflix features, everything like that. But it's just one of those things I think that happens when you're covering awards and know that 
Netflix is inconsistent with how they place their campaign resources sometimes. But I would say that for Jesse, yeah, the ability to oscillate between stillness and chaos. I first noticed that with her in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is a fascinating performance for an actress where she's playing a character where we don't really know much about that character until the very end of the movie. And even that you can completely miss, I think. And here what we see is her in scenes where you see a lot of, and I think Olivia Coleman does this too, to an extent where she is fully calm. You just, and you search for that emotion that she has um, behind her eyes in that stillness. But then there are other moments where you have no idea what she's going to do. She's completely unpredictable. And that can be when she's interacting with her daughters or with the Peter Sarsgaard character. And I think that originality and the unpredictability of her as an actress, she brings that into her characters. And I think with Leda, with this character in The Lost Daughter, you really feel that she's this woman who... And I wrote this too, like she's capable of doing great things and she's capable of doing terrible things. And to understand a woman like that, I think having an actress who can go from complete stillness to chaos is essential. So it's perfect casting. And I think she brought a lot to this performance. And I think, I don't know if it's my favorite. I go back and forth between her and Olivia, but I think they do a great job um, both bringing that to the role. See, I had the opposite reaction of uh, to Ryan in that I was much more uh, into the Olivia Coleman sections of the film, uh-huh. and I and I kind of felt like the bifurcated nature of it wasn't necessarily helping me that much with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also maybe because it was the screaming children. <laughs> I had yeah. just I had recently watched um All That Heaven Allows again, and I'm like <laughs> I'm seeing too many movies that are advertisements <laughs> that never have children. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That scene sort of all in a row accidentally. Um, so yeah, those those scenes were a little harder for me because I just felt like, what are they adding? Like, because I I love mystery in in movies and mysterious and enigmatic characters, which is one reason I do like Jesse Buckley as an actor. But I I tend to not respond. I mean, this is a totally personal thing, but I tend to not respond that well to like backstory mm-hmm. or flashbacks or like telling me why somebody became what they became like I want I want to just sort of intuit that for myself I was just gonna weigh in and say as like it's a very it's a serious movie it's a movie for Mm grown-ups I don't think I'm a very serious person and so I just want to say my favorite performance in the movie was Dagmara she's amazing that was the counterpoint I liked that was that bit of flavor I wanted those scenes were really you know where she's confronting Olivia or you know establishing that dynamic with Dakota like Dagmara was my girl in that movie it's an amazing performance it's a perfect example of an actor who can it's a perfect supporting performance because like it's not about her at all and yet you just are totally thinking about her when she's on the screen and she's Mm -hmm. giving you so much that's not necessarily on paper um, which is a really exciting thing about uh, acting when actors can do that because a lot of times we find with Oscar roles they tend to be great on paper, even before the actor's working on, on them. So I, I love it. I'm glad you mentioned her, because I love when an actor just sort of creates it on set or what have you. 
Yeah, I would have been remiss if that very good character performance didn't come up in this convo. Yes. I would have been okay with this film being um, nominated for Outstanding Cast at SAG, actually, because I think the the rapport between all the characters is really interesting and, and the sort of meat of the film. Let's move on to who is next alphabetically. You'd think I'd be better at the alphabet since I'm a writer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ariana DeVos in West Side Story. Now, she is our, our uh, presumed uh, front runner. Um, does anybody think that she's going to lose? Anybody willing to go there? This is this is the the like walk in, put it in permanent marker, you know, win of the night in the acting categories. I will say I feel bad about doing this because everybody seems to love it so much, but I can't not compare her to Rita Moreno. And I know a couple of you mentioned that in your uh, write-ups as well. Um, and Rita is like in my top five all-time supporting actress performances. Um, so I I found it lacking in that way. Like even though I think it's a good uh, version of the material, and I actually am surprised that I am glad that they remade it because I think it's a really interesting like companion piece to this 1961 film. Um, but I don't necessarily think any one element apart from Mike Faced is um, better than the original. Well, if Rita Moreno is in your top five, I have to say she is my number one. She's my favorite supporting actress winner ever. So that was a a very big shadow for the both to try to dance her way out of. <laughs> and and I don't think it helps that Rita Moreno is also in this movie. And in my opinion, giving a better performance than Ariana DeVoe. <laughs> Curiously enough, I think America is maybe, I know it's probably a controversial opinion, but I think America is her, her weakest number, maybe her weakest scene. How do you think that? I've always found America to be better when played for biting comedy slash satire. And I think this film, by including all the community and the way it's shot so much in, in wide shots is, really trying to make it more of a celebratory number, monotonal in its show-stopping nature. And I think the both really sacrifices some of the, of the phrasing in, the, in that musical number. And instead of playing the comedy, especially the, the biting nature of it, she sort of tries to play the joy. And to me, that takes the bite out of the number. It takes the purpose out of it in the dramaturgy. Mm. Now, Ryan, are you... Uh... Is this blasphemy to you? Because I know you think that Ariana DeBose is by far the best in the category. Oh, uh, she's Sorry. she's best in the category. Well, no, I don't think. I, did I write down that she was? Oh no, I, maybe you said that she was um, better than Marita Moreno, but maybe you don't love the yeah. version. Um, well, no, I mean, I love. I mean, I grew up on so many classic musicals, and this was one of them, and I. Um, it wasn't ever my, like my favorite, but I, I respected it and, and revered it. And I came into West Side Story with so much trepidation because of the fact that, like, I think Steven Spielberg for like the last 10 years has been putting it on cruise control and hasn't been giving us that magic that we all fell in love with. And I don't know, maybe it was leftover Thanksgiving turkey after I saw the film and I saw it. Um, and I was on some trip to fan at the time. But uh, I fell right in love with it, and I was under its spell from the from the get go. Actually, you say Mike Feist, I say David Alvarez, who is a Bernardo in the film, is extraordinary. No one gives him enough credit because 
everybody on Twitter goes uh, insane for Mike Price's arms. Um, but Ariana DeBose um, is um, she was she was extraordinary. I mean, when she gets in that gym and she just starts dancing with David Alvarez, I mean, it's magic. It's that Spielbergian magic that you know you can't capture in a bottle, you know, and she provides that energy that you need for this movie to, to separate it from its original. She, I thought was great in the American number. I think that that's, uh, I, when I saw it, it was in the IMAX and it was extraordinary and it was vibrant and she was, it, it was everything you want to see in a performance like that. Uh, in a year of musicals where it's just someone putting all their heart and soul into it. And then, yeah, what the, the scene towards the end where she is in that scene with Rita Moreno, I actually think that it's one of the better scenes in the entire film because of the fact that you have these two versions of Anita essentially in that same scene, talking to one another, both on opposite sides. I think that this is what I love about Tony Kushner's script and some of the subtle changes that he made, I don't, you know, not all the changes are great, but some of these like that, having that moment there between the two of them and DeBose really getting to show that, that those dramatic chops. I mean, when, when she sees Bernardo's body in the, in the morgue, it's devastating. I mean, I was, I was, and I know how this story is going to end. That's the thing is we know how this is going to end. If I mean, Read Bill Shakespeare. See the original. See the original musical. You'll understand. You'll know. But yet, I was I was gripped by her performance. And yeah, I mean, she's, you know, she's a star in, in yeah. the making. I mean, and everything. And she's so nice too. So. And Rebecca, I, I know you felt that way too, right? Um, you were like a big big star turn for you. For sure, and like I think also part of that is I wasn't at, I wasn't as hot on West Side Story as, like, seemingly everyone else. Mm. And I love musicals. Um, and I think it was it was that. It was, like, a really, really... It was, like, seeing a really great production of West Side Story. Mm. But I think, you know, the debate around it being a good companion piece with what it adds and, and how it iterates on the original, I don't know if there's enough... Not that anything has to justify its existence, and I'm not even that precious about the original, but I don't know. I wasn't as transported, I think, as most people, and I was disappointed, and you hate that moment when you know people love something and you're not connecting in the same way. But every time uh, Ariana was on screen, I was, it was clicking. Of course, like Rita Moreno and what they did, you know, changed that doc character, so she could be in it was great and um yeah I also agree Bernardo um was also a highlight for sure uh but I think in contrast I guess to expectations uh to the leads really not doing it for me I know people were like so enchanted with Rachel Zegler and I'm like she's like you know she's very sweet and pure (laughs) and like light and that's what that character should be but okay, like, uh, so to have, you know, you know, Anita be so fleshed out and to be able to play every scene at the, le- like, at the level of emotion, that makes it feel like when I'm watching, like, a good musical, like, if I was in a room, like, she'd be playing to the balcony and it would be clicking, or in intimate, quiet moments in the front, it would be clicking, like, 
Yeah, I love I love seeing theater actors. Yeah, you had mentioned her uh, that she uses her whole body in the movie, which I completely agree with, and I actually love that about stage actors once they make the transfer. Not all of them, you know, it's it's a they're both actor mediums, but they require different skills skill sets. Yeah, them, and not all of them can do both. Um, but but when somebody can, that physicality to me is is one of the most exciting things about it. Totally. And she just like her command of her face, her body, everything. And that's look, that's why I love the supporting categories, because you're way more likely to be uh, seeing these theater actors uh, yeah. in the mix. And you're also more likely to be seeing them in a wide shot <laughs> to tell you yeah. to, to put a fine point on it. I mean, a lot of directors only shoot in close up now. But um, for those directors like Spielberg, who who know how to use the full arsenal um, supporting you tend to see more of what they're doing with their body too, which is interesting. So Judy Dench, um, this was a controversial uh, nomination. I know some of you were upset that it wasn't uh, Katrina uh, Belf, and I always feel like I'm saying her name wrong. <laughs> oh, really? I think it's Katrina. No, is it? Yeah, yeah just Katrina. Katrina. Odd spelling though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did anybody? Does anybody want to stick up for Judy Dench, or we all like? She's nice in the movie. I think she's the best in the movie. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> I really dislike Belfast, so that's not oh. saying. Okay, hard, so it's not a comment. But... <laughs> <laughs> I think she's perfectly fine, apart from apart from her dubious North Irish accent, which is still better than what she did in Artemis Fowl. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think apart from from that technical issue. I think she does really well in the film. Bring it, brings warmth to the role. I think she kills her two moments. You know, the the bus monologue and and the ending of the film. I think the ending is the best part of the film, not just because the film is about to be over and I can get on with my life, but Ow. because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I really don't like Belfast, uh, but because she's the center of that ending, and I think she's the best element of the film, and I think she expresses a lot of emotional complexity that is absent from the text just in the way she moves from from the road to her house and exits the film. She suggests a complex human, but also co- a coherent person, better than the other actors, who to me sometimes feel like a series of disparate Oscar clips that never cohere. Now, uh, Rebecca, you compared her to... Uh the grandmother in Minaria, and I thought, ouch, there also, because <laughs> you said we've been getting a lot of these uh, grandmother roles, but, you know, it's it's tough when you follow something like that. Right, and even, you know, I mean, wasn't nominated, but the grandma in The Farewell, like, there's just been some really significant grandmas lately, um, not Mima, uh, but everyone else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we don't talk about Mima. <laughs> I love that all that all How can you look- not talk about Meemaw now? We, you know, that's what this whole podcast is gonna be for the rest of the Now time. we have to. Yeah. For Glenn's uh, sake, let's forget. Yeah, Wait, it's like summoning Beetlejuice. She's gonna pop up behind me. Who's a good Terminator, who's a bad Terminator, right? Uh, <laughs> so. uh yeah, so I just think this is such a classically like you know, like it's it's so it's it's Oscar-y to the point of parody. This type of performance and character, uh, and especially when we've had a lot of more complex and and gratifying and, and deep and surprising 
grandma roles recently. Uh, this one was just this cute little man who's tough when she has to be, and like and keeps it all together. And it, like I just uh, I I I don't know. And like if we're gonna talk about everything being, and I didn't like it either. I think like also that last moment where she had you know watching the bus. You know that's that's her best part, but it's so distracting because Kenneth Branagh is trying to do this kind of like four hundred blows expressionist close up on her, and it's really like. So I think it's not serving her well of the direction either because it's so he's just being so indulgent and all over the place. Uh, and then yeah, of the two cute grandparents in the movie, I found that she was the less cute grandparent. Because everybody talks about the ending, and I think it's absolutely why she was nominated. Um, because resting a whole film on on a final close-up for an actor is a gift <laughs> to that actor. Mm-hmm. But I know that, Ryan, you thought that it was more... The emotions we were feeling weren't really Judy Dench there, but the movie itself. Look, I am not like everyone, it seems like, on the internet that despises <laughs> this movie. Um, well, I don't... I, I like it. I know you and I saw it uh, at Middleburg together, yeah. Daniel, and uh, I I cried. I thought it was a very beautiful film, and also too, like this is what people really just like they think that Kenneth Branagh is like the boogeyman of this <laughs> award season, and he's just a sweet guy making a movie about his about his childhood. Like he, when you meet him and everything, he 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 gets emotional about it. It's 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 not for play he's a a very sweet guy and so when i read a lot of these and and i mean it's everyone's valid criticisms i get it um but also i sit there and go guys i think that i don't think it's as bad as you think it is i mean it's not it's not the best thing of the year it's not my favorite film of the year but i don't think it's it's notoriously bad and i think dench does exactly what she's supposed to do in this movie which is you know be a supporting actress you know she has her moment, I think her moment on the bus, I think her moment with, with Jude Hill going to the, to the movie theaters, it reminded me a lot of like when I was a kid, my grandmother took me to the movies a lot. And she, you know, during the summers, I mean, she could barely walk up the stairs, but she would do it anyway because, you know, she wanted to spend that time with me. And that's where we connected a lot. Um, and so, and then the, yeah, that shot at the end, it serves everyone else. And the emotions you're supposed to feel for everyone else. I think Kieran Hines blows her away in the scenes that he's in. I think he's really good in the film. He's my favorite part of it. Um, and I and I do think Katrina Balfe deserved to be in over her. I kind of figured for all season long early on that she might. And then everyone was like, oh, you're crazy. It's going to be Katrina Balfe. And so when that changed on Oscar uh, nomination morning, I was like, yeah, I should just call my shot. Yeah, and look, they had to make up for snubbing old Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> well, old old Dute had her day now, man. You know, I, yeah, I would, I would say, um, for I, I try not to, I try to block out the memory of cats, but I actually thought Judy <laughs> was great. As old she, she might have been the best part of cats for me. <laughs> just totally how to do it, Sophia? How could you say that when Scribble Shanks is right there? That's just oh. that's just rude. I, you know, it, it probably is, but I think Judy Dench also was nominated here because she is wearing the same wig that one of our previous winners and supporting actor was wearing, the Javier Bardem No Country for Old Men <laughs> wig. 
So I think that's maybe part of why she showed up here. Um, I think I was just so critical of it, I guess, the nomination, because it's just so uninspired. It just feels like one of those nominations we get where we have this veteran actor who's a previous winner who just comes in, steals a spot away from someone else because they're in a Best Picture nominee. And, of course, I wanted Ruth Nega here instead. Um, I think the writing itself is just so pedestrian to me in this movie because clearly Kenneth Branagh cared about his grandmother and she was very influential to him, right? We get these scenes of her, the color for some reason being reflected in her glasses and Mm -hmm. them going to the movies together. But, oh my God, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Since this is not a video, since this is not a podcast, you all must know that Ryan has added a background to our conversation of old Deuteronomy. Lifting her leg. Is that the lifting the leg shot? It is. (laughs) We stand a legend, right? (laughs) Totally do. It's, it's, oh my God. It's just so funny because like, Brana should be giving her these great scenes and moments to like highlight her abilities as this legendary actress that we know her to be, but she's kind of just sitting in a corner, like looking on at people a lot. And she's not really, I think besides those scenes that we've mentioned, she isn't really given the ability to shine. And I think part of the reason she got in here too, is because in a similar way to like the Cody Smith McPhee, wins for the power of the dog like we're left with him at the end of that movie mm-hmm. i wonder if voters just left belfast thinking of judy dench well i mean the last close-up is pretty amazing i think mm-hmm. as a way to end that movie i think it's a really strong choice um even though i i like ryan i like the movie i don't quite understand why people thought it should be up for all these oscars but i like the movie that's fair um, and no, I, that's fair yeah. and i think that uh, that is my favorite part of the movie for sure is the ending. Um, but it's funny, Sophia, when you were talking about that performance and that you would think he would give her a lot because Judy Dench and Kenneth Branagh, in addition to it being about his grandmother, they have a long history together. They've been, they've worked together several times. And it, so it reminded me a little bit when you were talking of um, Sophia Loren in um, that a movie that she recently did that her son directed. What was that called? The, it's the Madame Rosa remake. Yes. Um, where that, I had a similar reaction to that. It was like, you know, I know that this person who's directing the movie, you know, thinks the world of you. Where is, why is there not more meaty scenes for this person they think the world of mm-hmm. to dig into? So that, so it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the reputation surely led to the nomination, but. I think that's a great segue to um, just a, a little intermission of this discussion of saying who we think should have been here besides um, these five. And I, Sophia, you already mentioned Ruth Nega, who would easily be my winner in the, uh, in the category. Uh, I think I think it's the best performance of the year in any category. Uh, Ruth yep. Nega in passing. Um, and anybody, but anybody else want to throw it someone else's name into the ring? Or the Meredith's or in the Heights. Heights. Yeah. A movie that has been, I'm still not over it. Nathaniel and I have talked about it. That movie deserved a hell of a lot more than it got. Uh, I think Catherine Hunter in the tragedy of Macbeth. She's extraordinary. 
I mean, I could replace this whole damn category if I wanted to. Rebecca Ferguson in Dune. The more I see that film, the more her performance just really stands out. Tonight, Sydney in King Richard. I'm just going to keep saying names until people kick me out. Um, <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's a lot. It's, it's a very bountiful year. And yes, Ruth Nega too. But I want to throw in Harriet Sansom Harris from Licorice Pizza for oh, her quick perfect. scene there. <laughs> so this is a great mystery to me. How does Harriet Sampson Harris not have scripts thrown at her right? all year long? How has PDA not written her a star vehicle? He yeah. obviously knows what she can do. <laughs> it has to happen. She like comes into Phantom Thread and this movie and in these itty bitty parts and just like <laughs> blows the movie out of like blows everything else around her out of the water. It's like mm-hmm. she's so perfect in Licorice Pizza. It's it's unreal. Yeah. She's and so also it's just like you think about the words, just the text itself from the script. You know she's not ad living, but it feels so spontaneous and there's all these weird, like sort of choices. So <laughs> strange reading. How she just keeps saying no, no on the phone. <laughs> so good. <laughs> All that talk about comparing her to a dog. So I have this Excel spreadsheet with all my alternative choices for Oscars. Um, according to said, Yes, of course. According to several levels of eligibility. So <laughs> because <laughs> You know, because I'm crazy and Nathaniel enables my madness. Um, but I, again, like Ryan was saying, you can fill this entire category with performances that, were, that weren't acknowledged by Oscar. Indeed, I don't nominate any of these Oscar nominees, even though I really like and, or love some of these performances. And we've already talked about Catherine Hunter, but I'd like to give a shout out to Charlotte Rampling in Benedetta. Oh. Love oh. that performance. <laughs> yes. uh, also, Mia Vatikovska in Bergman Island, and also Gabby Hoffman for Come On, Come On. Oh, yeah. Which was sadly mm-hmm. forgotten by most oh, okay. awards winning bodies for some reason. I'll echo that I think, like, most of those, uh, like, most of the actresses in In the Heights were giving some of my favorite performances in a musical of the year. Like, I think we we're just so blessed to like have Daphne Ruba Vega and stuff. Like, oh, she's so great. Uh, so that for sure, and also Mia. Like, I love Bergman Island. Oh, one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, I feel so ashamed I haven't seen that. You know, every year there's like one movie that people you know end up talking about a lot after the fact, but not necessarily when it came out. Mm-hmm. And Bergman Island was that for me this year that I just it slipped me by and then way after the fact everybody's like oh that was really good yeah of the two movies with anders i kind of liked it a bit more i think it edges out me too me too whoa worst person is my second favorite movie of the year worst person is okay (laughs) that's really good i am rooting for it to win both of its categories i'm not um, but that's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. We will all get thrown in the guillotine uh, if we do not mention Martha Plimpton and Ann Dowd for Max. Oh, yeah. If you yeah, want I to count we them. Talk- I know <laughs> I you what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. They're both leads, but yeah. I, yeah. I understand. No, I agree, but they pushed them as supporting, and yeah. they would count in this category 
So I, I just, I'm, I don't kill the messenger. I'm just, I'm just no, but I think, I think the, the reaction to that movie and to passing is an example. I really don't think it's about the fact that people didn't like those performances. I think it's, these are those three examples are examples of that not enough people just watch those movies clearly was not screened widely compared to other movies because I don't I you know usually like I hate when people make big declarative sentences but I'm about to make one (laughs) that I I don't think you can watch that and not think Ruth Nega deserved all the roses in the world. Not I even mean, a divisive performance. Like there are performances that people have like many different opinions about, but I've yet to meet anybody who didn't think Ruth Mega was special in that movie. I, I it will be till the end of my days why Tessa Thompson was not in the best actress conversation and why she missed and that movie and Rebecca Hall. I mean, my God, like she should have been winning all the best first time director prizes if we were going to do that or Michael Cernowski for Pig. Hmm. Maggie going to Maggie. All right, let's we're we're running out of time. So let's uh go get back to our nominees. Kirsten Dunst and Power of the Dog. Now I have been rooting for Kirsten Dunst for approximately a million years. So I am very, very excited (laughs) to see her in the mix. I, I just am really interested to hear all of your opinions about this because I find it's one of these performances that's easy to undervalue the first time you see it, because I actually did. I mean, I always love her in movies, um, and I've seen this three times now. She's gotten better every single time I've seen the movie, and so I'm, and I think there's just a lot of things that you that a lot of different ways to read the performance. I know Rebecca, you uh, you mentioned that the uncomfortably odd relationship between mother and son, which I thought was an interesting thing to bring up because it's not ever what I think about with that movie. Yeah, I mean, like he's kind of a. He's kind of a little Norman Bates. Like, he's such a little freaking weirdo. And she's so, you know, defensive, but then very needy. Like, this this idea of, like, the needy mother who is so excessive and, and leaking out, like, trying to keep it all together, but her emotions and, 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 and what she needs and her vulnerability is, like, leaking out uh, onto this boy. Um, I just love that type of dynamic in a movie I love that weird shit I love the stuff with you know the rabbit like um I love you know her trying to like not to kill them um I you know I love her trying to make chit chat like in the kitchen with the staff like everything about this like just her being like you know this like oh well oh I'll take a dish like just um I just think it's so uh, engaging and great and like it goes from you know it just she reaches it's these levels of like I don't know I, I wrote that you you know Benedict Cumberbatch's performance means n- nothing if you're not seeing the effect like if you're not seeing every every way that Kirsten is playing every scene like his per- performance could it could be just anything it doesn't matter like she's the one who gives it um I guess like stakes and color and I also just feel like I, I find she's like, the, to me, like I could see tears in the back of Kirsten Dunst's eyes and that's all I need to see in anything. Like I'm just, I'm also biased because she's just my favorite. Mm. This is my favorite movie of the year. And when I first saw it too, like before everyone loved it and it was like getting all of these awards and nominations and everything, her performance didn't 
rise up to the level of like Benedict Cumberbatch's for me right away. It did take me those rewatches. And I think part of that is because I love Kirsten so much. And I just think of her in melancholia or even bring it on with these bigger performances. But the more I thought about it, I think there's so much nuance to her performance and there are just so many layers to unpack there when you're watching it. And I think that we always talk about moms in the supporting actress Mm -hmm. race. Like this is just such a popular type of role for a nomination, but I love how we see her just start to unravel throughout this film. And it starts very delicately and you just feel everything that she's feeling. I think her standout scene to me, she has two. The one I always think of is her with, Peter, Cody Smith McPhee, I do think there's like a weird mother-son dynamic too because he calls her Rose in mm. some of those moments. Yeah. It's yeah. odd to me, but when she's drunk and like playing in the sugar, talking about the stars, very odd, um, but great <laughs> drunk acting from her. And then the other is just when she is at that dinner and you just feel how out of place she is. It's almost like jo- Joan Fontaine and Rebecca. She just is so out of it in this house and you just see how uncomfortable she is now she chokes and can't play the piano it's just heartbreaking and I think it's worse because we love her as an actress so to see her go through that and to tap into that dark emotional place it's yeah it's tough but it's a very rewarding watch I think she's phenomenal yeah I like uh Brian I know you mentioned the power of a rewatch as well um I found at first I was like, I feel like there's connective tissue missing missing because like when you first meet her, she's, she seems to not have it together per se, but seems like a lot stronger as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's like the second she enters that house, it's like, she can't deal. <laughs> but I found on, on subsequent watches that feel like all, all of it's there already. It's just that she's more, much more fragile than, then she first appears. I mean, the, like the the minute she comes into that house, it's all that love and that hope of this relationship is it starts just going away because of one interaction with this guy who is the worst, you know. <laughs> and um, I I just I love this performance. I, I was I was when I first saw it, I remember first seeing Power of the Dog and going, I think I like this movie. I don't know if anybody else will, but I think I like it. And then uh, the multiple rewatches, she's stood out so much. It's all those fine details. I mean, everyone talks about the scene they got Jesse Plemons' nomination with, you know, it's so great to not be alone anymore. Right. And it's her embrace there too is another thing of she it's without saying anything she's agreeing with him there because of the fact that she just lost her husband and she's in a very vulnerable state then i mean obviously the next other scene of the film is the piano banjo duel which like then when she goes later behind that piano she's she goes catatonic she she can't because he you know of the of what he's done to her and then I mean, it's some of the best drunk acting I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it is incredible what she is doing here because there's, it's not like overdoing it. It's not, it's, I don't think it's, it's like going big ham. 
I think it's real. She's, she should win this Oscar. This is not even a joke. Like, I know it's got 12 nominations and everything. She should be winning this. I love Ariana DeBose, but like, what Christian Nunes is doing here is just extraordinary. I, I agree. And I would say, since you're talking about how great her drunk acting is, shout out to uh, Crazy Beautiful, where she also played an alcoholic and she was amazing in that one too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, I, well, Claudio, I wanted to mention something you wrote about Kirsten, which I thought was very um, insightful about how her motherly assurances vary in hollowness, depending on where she is in the movie and, you know, how she's feeling. And because I always think about, I love that you wrote that because I always think about that, that moment where she tells Peter, he's just a man. Yeah. And yet she, she says that to him. And yet that's not her reaction to, to him at all, to Phil at all. And so why can't she, she like dismisses it with Peter, but like every single thing that Phil does just destroys her. And even then her assurance is that he's just a man that everything's fine. It's interesting how she plays in that scene where you can see in her face that no, this is not fine. She is falling apart, but her voice is shows some confidence in her lie. And then later when she's again, trying to say that everything's fine when she's in the room alone with her son, and completely drunk, you can see that, oh, this lie vocally isn't coming as as easily as it did before. Every time I revisit it, I find new things to like. I was talking to Nick Taylor about, about these nominees the other day, and I was comparing them to classic Hollywood stars. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned that um, Kirsten Dunst reminded me a lot of Ethel Barrymore in The Paradigm Case. Just oh, being... Yeah completely crushed under the weight of in that case Hitchcock and Charles Lawton's character and in this case Phil but in this conversation we mentioned John Fontaine and Rebecca and it's just like a light bulb lit up that's a much better comparison and it and it, it, it goes to what again what I found out in the last rewatch of The Power of Dog, which was last night what really stood out to me was the class dynamics going on and how it's not just Phil who is crushing her, but I think that entire house is slowly sucking the life out of her. You always see as a, work, as a working woman, she always looks exhausted in the first act of the film. And then she comes into this life of leisure of being an hostess, a lady. And, there it, and last night, I really, I really saw the unease in that, how she tries to to almost be friends with the, with the servants. Mm-hmm. But there is a power dynamic and she's uncomfortable the way she kind of tries to wash the dishes, but she doesn't really know where to stand. <laughs> and then on the later on in that dinner part, I love the, how she does, she seems like she doesn't know how to hold herself at the beginning while she's waiting for the guests to arrive. And after the guests arrive, she somehow ends up holding the tray of drinks. And her crestfallen look, oh, she's a servant again. She's, again, serving these wealthy people. She's back at where she started. There is this unease in her body language that I, again, I discovered maybe in my fourth watch of the film. And I think next time I watch it, I'll find another thing about her performance. And I'm kind of angry with myself that I took her for granted. Speaking of rich performances that are easy to take for granted, our final nominee is Ingenue Ellis, um, who to me is the second best in this category after Kirsten Dunst. And it is really a role that could have been flat. 
like on paper, I think that it's the most stock role. Um, well, not most. That would be Judy Dench's uh, <laughs> grandmother role, but um, it's the second most stock of the characters, and yet it feels so full, so fully rounded and dimensional. And I think that's entirely on her. I do not think that's the script working. You know, she's really holding. You know, we we see more of her as it goes along. Like it's it's so the you know it's the Will Smith show. So the fact that she's able to present uh, this uh, this wife and mother as a person with like this innate just like like you know I think there's a lot of like you don't know or I didn't know at first because I'm not like a sports person I didn't know much about uh, right. Venus and Serena's uh, backstory but to know that she you know was also the one who was really into tennis and taught him a lot of what he knows and was as much a role in that and she gives out so much of this like kind of. Um, it's that weird thing she has where it, the thing she says, like, my faith is what keeps me beholden to you. But then, like, you know, like, you're on your last leg or whatever. There's this idea of, like, balancing that type of, like, faith and steadfastness. They're Jehovah's Witness with this real, you know, grounded intelligence and this, like, this very natural rapport with all the kids. That's the other thing. It's like, you know, acting with a room full of, like, kids really varies and I think she sells that family as a family Mm -hmm. in a way that's so lived in uh you know more than most things I've seen this year for sure um so I think she's she's a real reason she's a real reason uh why the good things about that movie uh work to me yeah and I think she's the reason that Will Smith is going to win (laughs) if not like not the reason <laughs> oddly enough it's not the reason she will win but it's the reason Will Smith will win and I know yeah. uh, Sophia you also thought she was the best in the movie yeah it's funny because right the movie's called King Richard we're hearing about Will Smith's performance and his it's time Oscar campaign and mm-hmm. he's good in the movie but she yeah. just steals it and I feel that you know we always get these people nominated who are playing real people. And it's so easy, I think, for actors to give us imitations of those real people. And here I felt like she was just like searching for this like deep truth of this woman, showing her resilience, showing how she kept that family together and her importance. But she's also just such a generous actor. She steals scenes, but she lets the people around her really rise to the occasion, whether that's Will Smith in that scene in the kitchen, which I think will be her Oscar scene if we get clips, mm-hmm. to Sonia Sidney and her daughters. I just feel like, and I know Anjanou Ellis is such an actor's actor. Like mm-hmm. She's really loved in the industry, and I feel like this performance is just... Like you said, it could have been flat, but it's so rich and it's why this movie worked for me and wasn't just your average sports movie with this mom who gets in the way, which is, I think, what we get in a lot of sports movies. So I was happy to see this type of character and this performance that she brought. Yeah, I think the movie would have been even stronger if they'd given her more scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would have complicated it more. Um, but Claudio, I wanted to say your comparison to uh, Faye Bainter, I think is very accurate. I get a lot of the same things from here, like all, you know, the background acting even, you know, where you can sense that, you know, she's just in the moment, even if the scene is not remotely about her, which is one of my favorite thing about great character actors. I've been screen capping the, all the best picture nominees 
Um, while I'm not the biggest fan of King Richard's visual grammar, I really like the blocking in it, which is something you don't often see in modern filmmaking. And Alice really works her ass off to make scenes where she's just seen in the background or between, or somehow between her, her daughters, even compositions that are privileging Will Smith, she's still working at complicating just her passive observation. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded, for example, of the Rodney King scene, where most of that scene is focused on Will Smith's reaction to the news. Mm-hmm. And she only gets one very brief shot all to herself. But if you pay attention to her all throughout the scene, you see this tapestry of complex reactions, the way she looks at television, then looks at her daughters. You can you can see this this monologue's worth of of a thought process going on there. And you know, she does this all throughout the film. She's the same. This is a definition to me of like actressing at the edges, like Stinky Lulu said when he started yeah. the supporting actor SmackDown. And it's not, in my opinion, a very good role. It's very stock. It's very archetypical. But she makes it the best part of the film. I exited that film wanting it to be called Queen or a scene and just be about her and her daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so that's all five. Um, it was great to talk to everybody, but as we, for our final r- lightning round, <laughs> I want you to put one of the actors in one of the other actors' roles and what you think, what interesting things would that conjure for you and why did you do it? So let's uh, start with uh, Claudio, since uh, you we just heard from you. We'll start with Claudio. Uh, I went to see Jesse Buckley tackle Judy Dennis's role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because Jesse Buckley is uh, an actress that gives a lot of thorny edges to whatever film she's doing, be it something like Beast or The Lost Daughter, where she's asked to do it very, you know, very directly by the script, be it something as thankless as Judy, where even in the background she's able to give this complicated, sometimes very angry demeanor that makes all of the scenes she's in a bit more complex and a little bit more challenging to watch. So you think that would have been rich Belfast? I think that would have been rich Belfast. I, I'm not a fan of its mawkish sentimentality. And I think Jesse Buckley is a very unsentimental actress. And uh, uh, well, of course she's not the right age to play granny, but uh, take that aside. Make Colin Farrell look like (laughs) not, even one ounce of him look like Colin Farrell <laughs> in the Batman and she can play Judy Dench's role in Belfast. Also, so, though, I, I don't think she has a Belfast accent, but she has a, an Irish accent, so there, that is already after the work done. <laughs> Judy Dench. <laughs> to, right, to make her better than Judy Dench. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Well, I'm going to stick on the, the Jesse Buckley train because of putting her in another role. And I'm actually going to say that I would love to have seen Jesse Buckley tackle what Kirsten Dunst does in The Power of the Dog. I think that that almost just kind of fits in with what she kind of did with um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things and really could take it to the next level also to see Jesse Buckley work. I mean, any of these actresses, even old Deuteronomy herself, working with, mm-hmm. with Jane Campion, is is would just be such a treat to see um but i think that she could claudio says she has like this something about the way jesse buckley act 
her face, the her expressions. I think it would have. I don't know how you can make that performance what Dunst does even better, but I would have loved to see her try. Mm. And I think that it would have really also been interesting to see Jesse Buckley's dynamics with Cody Smith McPhee. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would, that's the one I was thinking about all week because I mean, like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't want to put a white actress in a, in a African American. <laughs> And, um, and I don't want to like, you know, put Ariana DeBose as granny, even though that that would have been interesting as well. Um, you know, so, but like, but that one just for me, when I was thinking about that, that, that makes the most sense. How about you, Sophia? I also am going to stick with the Jesse Buckley, Kirsten pair, but I'm going to flip them and say Kirsten in, um, the lost daughter. I would be curious what she would make of those flashback scenes. I think she is so good at just like what we talked about, her emotional range and playing these women who are just going through it. And I would love to just see those scenes with her and those kids. And I would be curious too what her working relationship would be like with Olivia Coleman and how convincing of a pair they could be. I know that Jesse and Olivia kind of worked separately to develop that character and to find like that emotional core of her. And I feel like Kirsten Dunst would be really good in that part. And actually, maybe even though I did like Jesse's performance, I might have been more interested in those flashback scenes if we had Kirsten Dunst there. Okay, and Rebecca. Uh, that was also originally mine because that Lita character in The Lost Daughter has such like a hardness and I think Dunst uh, is really good. And like it's and it's really just like an un, like a very unflinching hardness that is admirable for, you know, for a character like this coming from both of the actresses. But I'd like to see um, the degrees to which Dunst would or would not soften that. Uh, but because that's been taken, I will say... <laughs> I will say uh, it's kind of a cheat, but I want to see Judy Dench in uh, my favorite supporting role of the year, which is John Bernthal's Little Shorts in King Richard. So throw her in those shorts, get her on the tennis court. Give her the mustache, too. Yeah. Let's just go the full way with it. I love it. Well, Den- you know, that's another really fantastic hairdo. Compared yeah. To Den- oh, the there best. you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put, I'm going to put on. I'm going to put Ingenue Ellis in the Kirsten Dunst role because Ingenue Ellis, like I realize that she's not the right age for it, but Ingenue Ellis is so good as we were saying at background stuff and underwritten roles that I want, I would love to see her in something where it's really written (laughs) and gives her a lot, a lot of opportunity right there in the foreground because Dunst's role is, you know, it's borderline, you know, it's almost a lead role. Um, and I would love to see, I mean, as we saw in Lovecraft Country, where Ingenue's role's bigger because of the television series, um, she, so she has lots of scenes, um, you know, she, she, there's just a lot of meat she can bring to a film. So I would love to see her in a larger role where she doesn't have to work so much with something underwritten. Thank you so much for all joining us. And as we're going, uh, let everybody uh, know where they can find you. And tell us your favorite movie of the year, or if you've already mentioned it, um, something else that you wish everybody would watch. 
as we sign off. Um, so thanks again to Ryan McQuaid for joining us from a little break from South by Southwest. Thank you so much. No, thank Nathaniel. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to talk to Fadio, Rebecca, Sophia, yourself, everyone here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterbox uh, at Ryan McQuaid seventy seven. You can find my work at Awards Watch, In Session Film, and Film Speak. Um, and my favorite is twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty one. Okay, because we're like, sorry, I've already seen like. 50 movies this year. <laughs> um, so, well, if you um, want to recommend something from this year, why not? As well. Well, I'll do I'll do one from each real quick. So, okay. The Green Knight from 2021 was my favorite film of the year. I think mm-hmm. that it's extraordinary, and David Lowry's the fact that that movie is made on such a small budget and it's as epic as Dune is extraordinary, and um, it did not get enough love. It's got great cinematography from Palermo and uh, a score by Daniel Hart. Extraordinary. Uh, and Deb Patel, who, do, who doesn't want to look at Deb Patel for two hours? Um, and uh, my favorite film so far this year is After Yang, which is on Showtime right now, for the love of God. Everyone, I know everyone wants to see uh, a Batman as many times as they can, but that's where uh, Colin Farrell is, is giving one of the best performances of his career in Coganada. Just what a Another A24, <laughs> small budget, but yet using such grand ideas. And so maybe that's uh, maybe that's like my calling card now. Uh, but no, go see those, watch those. And thank you so much. And Rebecca Alter, our staff writer from Vulture, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, you could find me every day at Vulture or at Ralter on basically any platform. Uh, I will say that. Um, it's not my num- favorite movie of the year, but my favorite animated movie of the year by far was Mitchell's versus the Machines. Uh, and I want that to get as much love as possible, especially if you're looking for nice alternatives to Disney movies that do say gay out loud. Uh, <laughs> it's a great example of that. Uh, and my other favorite movie of the year was the trailer for Licorice Pizza. I watch it once a week and I cry every time. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, and Sophia, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was so great talking with all of you today. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, Letterboxd at Sophia underscore Sim, C-I-M. And you can find my podcast, Oscar Wilde, on all podcast platforms. Our coverage is really ramped up right now with Oscar season. And my favorite movie of the year. So I also, oh my God, the licorice pizza trailer, amazing recommendation for sure. And I've talked about the power of the dog, but echoing the love for Bergman Island that we have, I just want more people to see that movie. It is such a rich text. And after seeing it, I felt like Mia Hansen Love had like been to therapy with me. I felt so seen by it. So I really recommend that. And I think from this year too, Ryan, you took mine after Yang. Oh my God. Everyone goes see After Yang. It's a shame it just got the Showtime release, but I want everyone to talk about it. It's wonderful. Yeah, beautiful movie. I agree. That would be a big recommendation for me, too. And uh, uh, from the film experience, uh, which is where uh, your host is also from, Claudio Alves. This is such a pleasure to talk about these performances with you guys. It's great to have other people's perspectives. My favorite film of the year was Titan, but I think it's a lot of people have already heard of that. So I would recommend a more underseen title, which is Magnus Von Horn's Sweat. 
And if you like great performances, you have to watch Magdalena Kolesnik's work as uh, a fitness influencer in modern day Poland and how she negotiates tensions between a public and personal life. And you can find me at the Film Experience at Photogeny. I have a new essay coming out this month about the, the silent films of Dmitry Kirsanov. And if you can read Portuguese, I'm also at Magazine HD. Also find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Claudio Alves DC. Thanks again uh, to Ryan, Sophia, Rebecca, and Claudio.